you know, I'd probably been directing for 10 years, maybe, you know, and I realized that how important my background as an assistant director was to being a producer mm. and a director. And because I can look across a soundstage or I can look across the set and I can go, I, I see, I can see exactly what people are standing there and what their body language is. And I know mm -hmm. the exact conversation they're having because I've been in that. And I also know, I think there's a benefit because I, 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 you know, grew up on the set, so to speak. When I ask for something as a producer and director, I know exactly what I'm asking for. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is that we have a responsibility to not only deliver something creatively that's fantastic, but we also have a responsibility to the budget and the schedule. Yep. And so I know if I say, hey, I want to do this, I can I already know the response that I'm going to get because people are like, oh shit, you're asking for a lot. But I already know what it takes to do it, right? And I already know right. how to accomplish it. I don't try to tell people how to do it. I say it. And then I trust the people that are doing it, you know, but then when there's roadblocks, I can go, look, here's how we navigate that. We turn this corner, we do this because I've done it before. I've right. done it for other directors when I was an AD. So right. I know how to accomplish it. So I know when I'm asking for something, whether big or small, I know exactly what it entails. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. Visit www.petechapman.com to get your official director's chair wear, hoodies, hats, jackets, mugs, and other swag, and learn more about your host. All right, all right. What's up, people? Welcome to episode 49 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. In our new format, this will complete season three. We will be back with season four as soon as possible. We're going to take a little break. We've rolled upon summer. Tomorrow is my birthday. And so with that, you know, we're going to take a little trip, um, try and re re rejuvenate and regroup and, you know, do all the re stuff that happens and then come back at y'all with a lot of new episodes for season four. I think I already know who the premiere episode will be, but I ain't going to say it. But it'll be dope. It'll be a great conversation and probably one that a lot of you will get to enjoy because maybe it's the, not the kind of interview that happens often. Also, I think I might try and take advantage of this unfortunate timing of the strike and see if I can't really lean into directors. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I really feel like that might be the director heavy season because people are not at work and I might be able to get some folks that I can't normally lock in due to shooting schedules to sit down and Zoom with your boy. So stay tuned on that. But this right now is episode 49. It is starring my man Anton Cropper, director, producer, came up as an AD, came up as a hustler, really a creative in figuring out how to find a spot in a variety of different industries from music to film to TV. And I'm, I'm very, I'm sure you're going to enjoy the conversation that we had. I, I feel it's a great way to conclude season three. But a little bit more about Anton. He was born in Sweden, came up in L.A., 
And, you know, just with that mixture right there, I think you have a, a unique perspective from which to view the game and the world and whatnot. I think he is the director who has done the most episodes of Blackish, if I'm not mistaken. He just did a feature film called Fantasy Football with Marseille Martin. He's known for Muck Suits. He was my producing director on Long Slow Exhale. The man is everywhere, so I hope you enjoy the interview. In the meantime, as far as updates from me, quite honestly, not much to report, not gonna lie. I've just really been trying to spend time with family. And that that is much to report, but I'm talking about, you know, in the in the world of like, oh, I'm working on this and I'm doing that. No, not much to report in that. Much happy year to be spending time reconnecting with fam. And, and I urge folks to do that if you're on strike and you have the time or, you know, in general, carve out that time because it's 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 so valuable. But yeah, nothing really more to report. I've got some writing to get done. I'm uh, going to make a little special trip to connect with my co-writer again on a non-sanctioned project, something that is a, a passion project that we've been working on on our own for a while. I'm going to do that in a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, that's really it. Just trying to watch as many things as I can and, and stay sharp and, and find whatever can creatively inspire me to, to see the world differently and anew before hopping back into whatever life will be like. When the, when the strike concludes. So without further ado, let's dive into episode 49 with my man, Anton Cropper. Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. All right. Here we are, folks, welcoming Anton Cropper to the podcast. What's up? What's up? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, doing good. You know, happy to be here. Happy to be joining this illustrious group of people that you've uh, spoken with. So I'm very honored. Oh man, I appreciate it. I feel like it's a it's a Saturday morning, so that this is a busy brother. You got to get him when you can. You know, I also say I, this is one of the things that I always appreciate, man. And it's not on this for the people watching on on YouTube, but I think I've been on a bunch of meetings, and your Zoom handle, if I'm not mistaken, was that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that motherfucker. Cause sometimes you just gotta let people know who walks over. You know, so. <laughs> it's funny. It started, you know, it wasn't really. I mean, I'd like I'd like to say it was all ego, but I like to believe I don't have a lot of egos. So it was really one of those things where I named my phone, you know, for like airdrop, you know, for you know, just trading information. My phone was named that motherfucker. So right. when the pandemic hit, everybody started doing Zoom meetings it automatically took my device name and right. placed on there. And, and to be 100% honest, I really just didn't know how to change it. Uh, and so, but then I would just go, I was like, well, I mean, but it was nothing I was ever like, I never shied away from it either. You know, I was just like, right. all right, well, I'm you know, that motherfucker then. So, and, it, and I'm like, it, it fits. If, if it's appropriate, then cool. If it works, you know, and, you know, it's been interesting. It's interesting because there's been, I, I, I don't really change it for anyone. And and now my iPad though, because I changed iPads, now it says my name, and I'm thinking about changing it back to that motherfucker. But well, I I, pre I mean it, it's a it's a weird thing. We could probably talk about it later. But it's like when you're when you're out here moving through white spaces, a lot of times you know there's a there's a calibration. You know what I mean? That happens on some level. And so I remember looking on the Zoom. I'm in the meeting. I'm looking at the faces. I'm like, okay, this motherfucker. All right. <laughs> but yo, so you were you were born in 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 Sweden. How, like, what's the, what's your early beginnings, man? 
my mom, I mean, I'll, I'll go way back before me. My mom and dad met here in LA. And so my dad's from Chicago, my mom's from Sweden. Met in LA, got married, had my sister, moved to Sweden, had me, then moved back to LA. And so I spent my first five years in Sweden and then used to go back about every other summer, sometimes three years, but about every other summer, I'd go back and spend summers in Sweden. My mom's entire family's there. So everyone, she's the, she's pretty much the only one outside of Sweden besides, you know, one or two other people. But, but yeah, so, but I grew up in LA, um, you know, grew up, actually technically grew up in Inglewood, two blocks from mm-hmm. LA. So, and do, do you have like a, or, or how did that affect your, your worldview, right? Was it like some Kobe growing up in Italy kind of deal or like, and I know you didn't grow up there, but like just even going in, in and out of these different environments, like did that impact your, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer that environment affects people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and you know, I, uh, I realize that, you know, right now he may not be the most popular person as, and has said, you know, possibly some questionable things. I don't, I don't, I try not to get overly involved in the, in the, in, you know, social media things or political things from other people or whatever. But, you know, Kanye West has a great quote in one of his songs, everything I'm not makes me everything I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that because it's flipping it, you know, where, yeah, everything I am makes me everything I am, but everything I'm not also does. Mm-hmm. So I was not, I did not grow up wealthy. Mm-hmm. I did not grow up, you know, I, I, you know, started working when I was 14 years old, you know, I started, but all of these things, my parents did a great job of providing other points of view for me. You know, I never, ever felt like we were poor, you know, but I, I, I as I got older, I realized, oh shit, like, yeah, no, I couldn't get those joints. I couldn't get those jeans. Or I couldn't get that. You know, I found ways to get them on my own. You know, right. it's just us on the grind and, and, and you know, said, oh, well, then I got to work. Or I got to put in time. I got to do this. I got to do whatever. But to answer that question, yeah. I mean, going to Sweden, having that perspective, you know, my mom would, would make me go. I'd be kicking and screaming. She dragged me to the airport. Right. But those, you know, two months were up in Sweden. I'd be like, damn, I don't want to go back to LA, you right. know? And, and I think that a lot of times, especially as black Americans, you know, and I don't want to overly generalize, but a lot of times we don't get to go out and see other parts of the world, you know, or we don't take the initiative to make travel a priority. And right. what ends up happening when you travel, you know, our biggest issues, you know, are, are cultural differences as a society, right? We don't accept other people's culture, which is what starts the clash. We right. believe it's all about skin tone, which a lot of it is, but it's really culture, right? Like, so, I, you know, people feel like they have to speak differently and all groups actually do it, you know, you know, code switching, you know, people feel like they have to act a different way, talk a different way, look a different way, can't be that motherfucker on Zoom, you know, right. Uh, right. et cetera, et cetera, because of the fact that culturally we're different, but when you travel, you learn to understand and accept people's cultures and realize that might not be for you or you might not sound like that or you might not look like that or you might not like that music, like, you know, and they may not like what you like, but that doesn't mean you can't accept each other as people. Right, right. So, but that's a, that's a dope thing to, to get, you know, in your blood early, you know, especially in, in what we do in, in this industry and telling stories and having empathy and, and insight into other walks of life and worldviews. What was the first story that you remember having an impact on you where you're like, huh, you know, that, that really made me look at a situation differently or. 
I mean, s- story in terms of a movie or film or play or, or, or something, I mean, I- I've never thought about it, to be honest. You know, my dad was a still photographer and a camera assistant. He, so he worked in the, in, the, in the TV and film business, but he wasn't a producer, director. You know, it wasn't like he was high up on the total pole. He was a camera assistant. He was a second AC in a loader. And he was happy with that. He enjoyed that. So I used to go to sets like Dallas and Moonlighting, you know, Jazz Singer, all these things way back. And, and just as a little kid. And I never was like enamored by the concept of filmmaking. But I was always enamored by the idea of storytelling. Like my dad was a great storyteller. My uncle was a great storyteller. And when I think about, I don't think I've ever been asked this question, you know. So I don't know if you really made me dig deep down the side, I'm going to embarrass myself a little. Second grade, I played the lion in Wizard of Oz. So I had a giant curly... You know, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a proper Afro, but it was, it was like, you know, those big old giant curls. And I just remember like my teachers told my mom, don't let him cut his hair. Just let him keep growing it, you know, so I can just be the, the, the main of the lion or whatever. Right. And the uh, point being is though, I do remember the impact. I remember being on stage and I remember the impact of, of, of the audience and what right. that felt like. And that we were, we were telling a story that had been told many times. And of course, they were just cheering because we were, we were their little kids and whatever. I'm sure it sucked. But I don't know, man. There's, I mean, hip-hop. Hip-hop influenced me greatly. I mean, that yeah. story, early hip-hop was all about storytelling, right? That, that influenced me greatly. I was also a tour manager. I tour managed Warren G for a while. And like, I remember being mm-hmm. on stage and feeling that energy. Even though I wasn't on stage, I was, you know, next to stage. So I think it's just the impact that both you know, telling stories, music, anything, all of the things that we do, the way that people respond is, is, right. is I remember most. So what was your path to starting a career in, in, in the industry? Uh, is it a career? You know, uh, I'm, still, I'm still working at this. That's true. I, at, at what point do you call it a career, I guess, after when they give you a, an award or for a no, lifetime man. achievement at that point, I, you can I, say it's Yes. You know, it, I guess it is a career, but, you know, sometimes it never feels like it because, you know, the, the saying of you're only as good as your last job, there, there's, right. there's some truth to that, you know, and I approach every single thing I do like it's my first one and my last one. So, but. My path, my path, I guess, is a little bit different than most. I didn't go to film school. I didn't grow up. Again, this part, I can't remember a specific story or movie that affected me. Because I didn't grow up with the concept of, I want to make movies or I want to make TV. Right. I always, this business chose me. When I was in high school, my sister's boyfriend at the time started a music video production company. And I worked some weekends. And within that, we did an Ice Cube video. I was a production assistant. I didn't know anything. Okay. It's like, what song? What video? It was, uh, man, it was when they kidnapped the dad and threw him in the trunk. I should know the name, but uh, I don't. I don't remember the name. I have to look it up. But it was off his, off his first solo album. Okay. Uh, you know, being from LA. So th- I worked on that video. It was like third job. The first AD, the first assistant director walks up to me and at the end of the shoot and goes, next, next video I do, I want you to be my second AD. And by this time, I, was, I think I was 18. Yeah, I think... And, he said, I, and I said, I don't, I don't know what a second AD does. Right. And he said, do what you did today and you'll be fine. I said, all right. And the next week he called me for King T and the Alcoholics. The Alcoholic <laughs> first, first song featuring King T. And it was a shit show, you know, true to their, true to form. 
eight, eight o'clock in the morning. They're drinking Thunderbird and Kool-Aid, Mad Dog 2020. You right. know, by, by two o'clock in the morning, everyone's fucked up, you know? Right. And it, but, but, you know, within a year from that, I started, when I was 19, I was first ADing music videos. And I was going to Cal State Dominguez. I mean, I was 19, maybe 20. And it got to the point where I was a, a political science major. And it was, do I take my test on Friday? Huh. Or I do I do this Master P video seven days at $1,000 a day cash? Right. Now, this is the early 90s. I'm, you know, 19, 20 years old. Right. Seven grand, seven days of work. I'm like, yo, I'm taking that test some other time. Right. And, and just, you know, I never looked back. And then from there, it sort of... I decided to get out of the music video game. I did a movie called The Show. Uh, Russell Simmons presents The Show with Brian Robbins, with Naughty by Nature, Run DMC. Yeah. Warren and I got tight. I brought the dog pound into the movie because at that time I had been doing all these videos and I was super tight with them and Snoop. And then I decided, then I was at a point where I was tour managing with Warren. I had done some stuff with Wu-Tang and the Five Footers. And, you know, again, you know, Snoop, Death Row had kind of fallen apart and he, you know, we we're talking about starting a label and I just kind of decided that that wasn't the road I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. And I went and I made a phone call and I started over. I went back being a production assistant on a TV show called All That. And I went mm-hmm. from, started making, I was making $400 a week. So I right. went from, then, you know, $1,000, $1,200, $1,500 a day to, it wasn't working every day. Right. You know, it wasn't that, but, you know, working seven, 10 days a month to making $400 a week. And that became the journey. I became a second AD, a first AD, and then eventually right. direct and producing. So to make that pivot from, from music videos into television, not to get into your finances, but had you been smart with your money and were you in not a position? Okay. <laughs> so, I was the dude, look, I mean, you know, I grew up in LA. I went to Westchester. It was always fun. I mean, you know, I... I we always had a good time. I was very, my, my nicknames, I'm somewhat embarrassed to say, but which is why my wife, my wife would not go out with me at the time at all because my nicknames were Spotlight and Hollywood. Right. And so <laughs> that tells you anything. So, you know, right. I was the dude, I was the dude, literally, I'd wake up in the morning and instead of washing clothes, I would go to Nordstrom's and buy some to wear that day. Right. I would do that. Right. And, you know, I would, you know, and, you know, I think I bought my first brand new car when I was 20 or 21, you know, whatever. And it was like, I, I, I was, I was living like, you know, there was no tomorrow. And, and I think part of that is that mentality of, you know, grow again, being in LA, growing up in the nineties in LA when shit was hot and by hot, I mean, I mean, like you didn't know if you were making it to the next day or not. That's um, what I was going to ask you too, because that you said death row was kind of going down, but this this was like the height of the East Coast, West Coast shit, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and it was just, it was, you didn't know what was what. Yeah, and and you know, this is, this is you know, yeah, 94, 95, 96, you know, or early, you know, even 92, 93. Like I, I did some first video. I mean, I didn't direct any of them, but I was working mm-hmm. as a or you know, I was working on them. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I was fortunate where, again, I didn't grow up. I didn't, I, you grow up yeah, in LA sometimes, and in that era, you were just guilty by affiliation, by the mm. neighborhood you lived in, the school you went to, et cetera, et cetera. I was not a gangster. I was not a gangbang, you know, at all. That was not my thing. I was, I was into cars, still am. But 
if you're on the bus and some mm. dudes get on and they go, what high school do you go to? You right. are automatically guilty by association. And those were my friends. Right. But I knew when to leave. I knew right. when to not be there. I did not go find the trouble. I knew like instead, like, yo, I, we, we cool, but, you know, y'all not coming, kicking into my house all day, every day, you know, right. someone drive by and shoot my house up. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think there, you know, there was a little bit and, and, and again, not having grown up again, I never felt like we were lacking, but, you know, having surplus income mm-hmm. and not being, and, and it's the trap that a lot of people fall into at that age. And I didn't get a lot of money. I can't imagine these NBA players, these rappers, or, you know, everybody, you know, getting millions of dollars, but I mean, right. at least hopefully they have some sort of structure or, or, you know, a team in place. You know, I didn't, it was just me. Yeah. And most of them don't. I mean, I, I just read, or yeah, I think I read that Giannis had, he had $250,000 in like 50 different banks. Because he didn't know he was going by the FDIC insurance, you know, max if a bank were to collapse. But he didn't know, he didn't have any support or help or know how to invest his money. I was yeah. like, yo, that's, that's, I mean, at least that's smart. If you yeah, don't know I, shit. I, I get it. Like, he, you know? he, he, looked, he at least he read and thought he was doing right. something. You know, and, and, you know, and again, I, I wasn't making that type of money, obviously, you know. But for me, still, it was, you know making 10 grand a month or, you know, whatever at, at, at that age for me was a lot. Yeah. I, I think, again, everything I'm not takes me everything I am, right? So right. those experiences, though, made me learn. Like, I, I, I'm very candid, you know, when I did start dating my wife, you know, I remember we went to the mall. And I was like, yo, went to Westside Pavilion, went to Charles David, bought some shoes, went to shopping, whatever, whatever, you know. And yeah, I had a, you know, fly a new car, everything. And, you know, then on the way home, she's like, oh, let's stop and get something to eat. And I was like, oh, shit. And, you know, we just spit all the money, you know, as we're shopping, like, you know. Right, and, right. But, but that's, a, that's a mentality then that I had to overcome and yeah. really, like, you know, understand that, you know, this is a long-term game. And then how do we find financial freedom and financial responsibility? Because at the end of the day, even though I'm very blessed and fortunate to now be in a position that I'm in, there's still other people that are making tons of money off of what we do. People look at us like, oh, we're making, we're doing all right. Yeah, right. but we're, just, we're, we're a drop in the bucket, right. you know? And those people are not looking out for our interests whatsoever. And, and a lot of times, the tools that are available to us have been available to other people for hundreds of years. So right. we don't have that same foundation we don't have, we're 60 years in, basically. Mm-hmm. And that 60 years in isn't even a true 60 because of the fact that that's the, that's the you know, it's like, it's like Juneteenth, 1863. No, I didn't have it to 1865, right? right? So, but the real truth is that, you know, civil rights movement was in the 60s, but when did we start actually benefiting from it? Right. And then what ended up happening was in the 70s and, you know, late 60s and early 70s, it was like, yo, we're, we, you know, you, you want to celebrate so you're not, again, being financially smart. Then we're, we're held back by, like, the Federal Housing Act. We're held back by so many different things that have been built by definition to not allow us to succeed. Right. And so we don't have a lot of times that foundation and that head start that other people have for hundreds of years. So right. we really got a lot of, you know, learning to do. 
And then, and, and yeah, and then from every corner, it'll be, they'll put the onus on, oh, y'all, y'all don't know what to do. You got your priorities in the wrong place. And it's like, y'all, I've been, I've been trying to shake these zombies off of me for the, all my life. <laughs> they come in from every direction. Correct. You know? And also, too, you know, the thing is, too, like, also culturally, and this is the thing about, you know, so I don't know if this is the direction we're supposed to be going. Hey, no, nah, this, this is all good, man. Going, so, this is all uh, good. You know, we as Black Americans, African Americans, West Indian Americans, anyone derived from slave trade that is in America, right? Yeah. We were taught to assimilate, to denounce who we are, what we are, where we came from. If you had someone that spoke the same language as you, you were separated, beaten, tortured if you spoke to that person in your native tongue. Right. Part of what I'm getting at is this. I get, you know, look, my, my flossiness, you know, of, of when I did get some money, right. you know, and, and people, again, culture. We, we have in our DNA, we had gold at our disposal. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we took animals, feathers, hides, we beautified them. We, we're a proud people of our appearance. Right. You know, and that still runs through us. We still wear gold chains and everything. Right. And we want to symbolize our success. And as a culture, we do it differently than other cultures, right? right? But we've been taught that that's a problem, that there's a flaw with it or a fault or like, oh, you spend all your money on something that makes you shine and you ain't got nothing else. And that's true. That's that's right. backwards. Right. But when you when you do have something else, you can still shine and be proud. Right. Trying to level it out. Trying to level it out. Yeah. That's the that's the priorities. Like I, I'm always thinking about the next gold chain. So I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so from from what I see from my lovely assistant Jada, who does the research and and puts a little document together. So for all that, you did 29 episodes as stage manager. What's that job? All right, so, well, in the IMDb does not allow you to have a first stage manager, second stage manager category. I was a second stage manager. Um, they lump it all together as stage manager. And basically, it's like an assistant director, but different because it's a multi-camera platform. Multi-camera platform works where you are generally on Monday, you do a table read for the writers, they rewrite. Tuesday, you start rehearsing. Wednesday, you rehearse. By the end of day, Wednesday, you do a blocking for the writers so they can also see it on his feet. By Thursday, you start taping. On Friday, you're taping. You also have a live audience. Right. The stage manager, second stage manager, I was in charge of like basically wrangling the actors, getting their in and out of hair and makeup. On all that, I was also in charge of the music groups and the talent that we always like guest talent. So mm-hmm. I would be the liaison for all of, you know, the music acts that came through. It's just, you know, again, it, it's sort of, it, it's very similar to what a second assistant director does. Right. But our difference is because of the fact that we're not filming every single day, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, honestly, that stage managing was like, I had, you know, I had friends and they got me to do it. My first day, I was like, yo, this is all I'm supposed to do. I'm like, this is my eyes closing. He has tied behind my back. Right. Is that the director? And, right. you know, I, I think that that stage managing it's a different tool. I think it's a lot less intense than being an assistant director. Uh-huh. It's interesting, though. It sounds like, you know, there's, a, there's an unexpected benefit of, of, like, the route you took, right? Because 
doing yeah. doing those videos and because I did a couple music videos and I was like, I, I can't fucking do it no more. You know what I mean? And and I was just like, the 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 lack of respect for time, the 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 personalities that you're dealing with were just kind of crazy. And then what I was doing, and I was just like, man, but like having to having been in that world and then coming to TV, a lot of what you you'd see, you'd be like, oh, this is nothing. Like everybody's here on time, more or less. Like it's just, you know, right. not getting them from the trailer to the set. So, you know, and then also it sounds like the just the creative and and genuine sense of hustle you had, you know, that's something that you can apply anywhere. How did how did you move from being a stage manager to going to that, you know, second AD and then that first AD position on like that was that and the brothers Garcia and Six Feet Under and stuff like that? I mean, one, I'd say, I think you're 100% correct. It, it was a few years ago that I didn't realize how important I, I, you know, I'd probably been directing for 10 years, maybe, you know, and I realized that how important my background as an assistant director was to being a producer mm. and a director. And because I can look across the soundstage or I can look across the set and I can go, I, I see, I can see exactly what people are standing there and what their body language is. And I know mm-hmm. the exact conversation they're having because I've been in that. And I also know, I think there's a benefit because I've, I, 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 you know, grew up on the set, so to speak. When I ask for something as a producer and director, I know exactly what I'm asking for. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that we have a responsibility to not only deliver something creatively that's fantastic, but we also have a responsibility to the budget and the schedule. Yep. And so I know if I say, hey, I want to do this. I can I already know the response that I'm going to get because people are like, oh shit, you're asking for a lot. But I already know what it takes to do it, right? And I already know right. how to accomplish it. I don't try to tell people how to do it. I say it. And then I trust the people that are doing it, you know, come up. But then when there's roadblocks, I can go, look, here's how we navigate that. We turn this corner, we do this. Because I've done it before. I've right. done it for other directors when I was an AD. So I know how to accomplish it. So I know what I'm asking for something, whether big or small, I know exactly what it entails. But to, to, for the transition question was, I was really, you know, again, uh, it's a hustle, right? I mean, when I was doing music videos, I had friends who would like, yo, put me on because they saw I started making money, you know? And they're like, I'm like, all right, well, are you going to be in downtown LA at 5 a.m. up dog shit in an alley with me? Because that's what I do. Right. And then they'll stay there till 2 a.m. and be the last person standing there when the crackheads are out or right. are shooting up with heroin and everything yeah. else. And you got to be the last dude watching to make sure the truck leaves. Yeah. So I'd say like, cool, I'm, I'm in a position already, you know, at 18, 19 years old where I could put you on. So I right. put them on five o'clock in the morning, motherfuckers wouldn't show up. Right. So I'm like, yo, I can't, I can't help you help yourself if you right. don't want, you know, and, and, but so... Eventually, I, I started, I, I went on to, I, I was always grateful for the position I was in while I was in it. And I, mm-hmm. I was very blessed that I was able to transition to the next stage without any delays. When I was a second AD, I was happy being a second AD. Right. Not being happy being a second AD, I was able to transition to a first AD. Someone was there to trust me. Same Can I ask, just, what, what, what was it that you noticed that made you kind of made your happiness meter dwindle a little bit? You know, I'm I'm very much the type of person where once I've accomplished something or done it a few times or whatever, I I 
realize that I lose interest. And even when I was, you know, towards the end of my first AD career, I felt myself working at 85% of my ability. And I was, I was doing both. I was first thing and directing. And I really had kind of like, you know, I was losing interest in, in being a first AD. And, you know, but I, a producer friend who I'd been working for, and I was very upfront about it. I was like, I don't feel like I'm on that same point, you know? Right. He said, I'll tell you, 85% of you is better than 100% of everyone else. So I was like, well, that's very flattering, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. that's, that's the reality, right? I would just feel... Like, all right, I've been here, done this, I've mastered it. And I'm the same way now, even with directing to a certain extent. Like, you know, I think that's why I do comedy, I do action, I do drama, I do sci-fi, I do, I've done half hour, I've done one hour. I've, you know, I just did my first movie, which was a different animal, you know? And, right. So I, I need constant stimulation. Right, right. So what do you consider your first, let me, let me ask this differently, because you did, you did, Everybody Hates Chris. Was that yep. your... But then you also did Monk and you were like first AD and director. Like, wh- what do you consider like your first job as a director? Because I know sometimes it people... Was Monk. It, was it was Monk. Monk. It was okay. Monk, yeah. I, my first job as, as a director was 07, Monk. And Randy Ziss, the executive producer who I consider one of my mentors, he gave me my shot, you know, and he had asked me, and this is the thing too, people, be patient because... It was season three. He asked me, we were scouting in a van. I remember exactly where we were, um, just outside of downtown. We were just shooting shit. And he was like, yeah, so what do you want to do? And I was very a part of Monk. Like, I don't just do a schedule as right. a first. I, I cared about what the final product was. I, I, my job was to make the best episode possible as an AD. So I would bend over backwards to figure it out. But so he said to me, he said, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, I think I want to direct. It was never like, it was always there in the back of my mind. But again, right. I was never, like when I was a second AD, it wasn't like, yo, I'm going to be a big time director. It was just like, I'm good being a second AD. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, really? He looked at me, he said, I would think you want to produce. And I looked at him, I said, well, I already do that. So, you know, <laughs> I was like, I, I, I do that right here, right now. I don't, right. I don't have a title. But I, eventually I did get the title on Monk. I did get a producing title on Monk. But, but, and then it took, it took a year and a half after that conversation. And he would come up to me. I, I, I didn't ask. He called to me and said, I'm still working on it. I haven't forgotten this. All right, cool. And honestly, that, that, that helped me stay on that show as a first AD, knowing that that was coming. But I, again, I didn't ask. And he'd come up and said, okay, I got this. I got the studio approval. Okay, I got this. And it took a year and a half. What happened was we were on set one day, one of the actors, there was a situation where there was a script issue and they were trying to figure it out. And the director couldn't really explain it. And, you know, it's now it's 35 minutes and we just didn't stand there talking. And, you know, I, I, I didn't want to step on anyone's toes because, you know, there's a hierarchy and right. you know, it wasn't my place. But eventually they, were, they reached a standstill. And I just said, listen, here's what it is. In this scene back there, this happened. What happens now? Boom, boom. And how that relates to is this thing over here? And boom, 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 boom. Because they needed it. Like we were just right. dead in the water. Right. And, and one of the actors who was very tough on directors, I love him to death, but very tough on directors. And I learned a lot from him watching how he was with that, with directors. He went to Randy and said, how come Anton's not directing? Mm-hmm. And that was the final thing mm-hmm. that gave the green light, the cast right. being right, Yelp. And then never looked back. And that was that. But, but Everybody Hates Chris was my first thing outside yeah. of the world. But That's I why I was... Five episodes a month, though. 
you know? So it was like, it it became, you know, but everybody hates Chris. And that was, again, one of the directors who had directed a look who I was, you know, very tight with because I I busted my ass to make sure they got what they needed. He was the producing director on it. And once I did the look, he was like, yo, I can get you a slot over here. I I got what I need to bring you in now. Bingo. That's what I was going for too, because I know like, you know, I, I did the directing, I did four directing programs. I shadowed on like 10 shows and it, it took a, it took a handful of shows before I got a show that I hadn't shadowed on. Yeah. And, and I kind of have a little bit of a distinction myself where it's like, no, this is the first one where I went in that shit and like got the job. You yeah. know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like yeah. I was handing in a, in a receipt or something. But let's just be very clear. You got the job on the other jobs before, even though you may have shadowed because you put in the work and you put in the time. Like that episode of Monk was not handed to me. That was not a, that was not a, oh, we want you to stay. So here's an episode. It was earned by the hard work I did as a first AD. And your episodes were earned by the time you put in through the programs, shadowing, showing up and being there. So yeah, Yeah. you might've got something that you feel like was on your own merit, but those mm-hmm. episodes were on your merit because I guarantee you right now, there's other people that were in the same class as you. Oh, no the doubt. same exact thing that are not sitting here where you are. Right, right. Nah, nah, real talk, real talk. There's, I want to, I want to, you brought it up. So I want to ask you about this. If you were to distill what this actor would do to directors that were not on their game, like what is it that you were noticing and, and what is it that the directors could have been doing better? I'll never forget a moment early on. I hadn't been on the show long and, and where the director, they were blocking the scene, private mm-hmm. rehearsal, blocking the scene, you know, so they were, were trying to figure it out. And, and the director said, well, I need you to cross over here at this line so that the camera can do this. Right. And the actor said, my job is to figure out the performance and what works for this scene. Your job is to capture it. Do not tell me blocking based on what you need the camera to do. Mm-hmm. Do not tell me what, what my performance should be because you have a special shot in mind or because of something else. And it wasn't quite this cordial. You know, so, so you know, Look, there's a part where, yeah, I, this, there are times where I ask actors to do something for the camera, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you need that. You need a motivation or you need something else or you have something planned. Right. But at the same time, you have to be conscious. To me, performance comes first. Yeah. So if I have something planned that doesn't, and, and the blocking and staging plan, what that really did was it really taught me, huh, when I go and I take a script, the first thing I do, I don't, I, I don't think about the camera one bit. Mm-hmm. I think about what do I believe the character would do in this moment? And I go into the space. If, if it, this is the set, I go into the space and I'm thinking, like, would the character be shooting pool? Would they sit on the pool table? Would they be sitting, I'm sitting at my bar? Would they be sitting at my, you know, would they be sitting at the right. bar? Would they be standing? What's the intention? What does the character want to do? And I try to really embody that, although I don't know because I haven't talked to them, but I try to figure it out from a character perspective. And then I go, okay, if that's what I think they're doing, then how do I capture that? How do I film that? 
Where do I put the camera to make that the most dynamic? Where do I, what story am I telling? Whose point of view is it? But right. it always, to me, starts from the character. And so those little moments like that, you know, and then I made a mistake one time, not intentionally. They, same, same actor. I was directing. And I don't think, it wasn't my first episode. So I was comfortable. And it that, was not yeah, that, can, that, can, that can get you. It was not intentional. But I'm, I'm standing here having a conversation. And I'm standing here and I'm, I'm impassioned. So I'm talking with my hands. I'm standing here. And I just see him like starting to boil. And I'm huh. like, the fuck is happening or whatever. Right. And then he goes, don't you ever stand on my mark and tell me how to act it. And I mm. look down and I'm standing on his mark. Right. And in his perspective, I wasn't, I wasn't giving him intention. I wasn't giving him, you know, again, early on. So, you know, right. I'm, I'm still learning, but I wasn't, I was probably more telling than right. talking and, and trying to, one of the things that I really try to do with actors is that I don't try to ever tell them how to do something. Mm -hmm. I try to tell them or try to explain to them what the intentions are. Then right. it's their job to internalize that and make it the, the character's own, make it their own, you know, right. because I can't tell them how to do it. And there are times, I mean, I have plenty of actors who have said to me, no, just tell them. Just mm -hmm. tell me what you want. Tell me how to do it and I will do it. And it's a, it's, there's a trust and a rapport because there's a fine line. Like, right. I don't want to get to the place where I'm telling you everything to do because then right. you're no longer taking ownership and you're no longer making your own. And you're no longer emoting. You're now just doing. And, uh, but man, I looked down and I was like, oh shit. But right. it made me, again, it made me a better, it made me understand what he was feeling, even though it was not my intention, but he felt like I was performing. I was standing on his mark right. and I was acting it out of what I wanted him to do. Right. It's such a, man, I, I, I feel like we should all have psychology degrees, man, to do this job because it's, it's yeah, and I say this on the podcast all the time, like I, I in my early apps, I started realizing I'm just going to ask questions because if I, there were a couple of times where I might've said like, oh, let's do this. And then an actor was like, no. And I'm like, in, inside, I'm like, fuck this, you, you know what I mean? Like just. Like you can't even try it, you know what I mean? And but right. like sometimes, like just the just the the it's the nudge, it's the nudge with a little bit of a of a of a clear intention that maybe they can grab out of the air and alley oop it or not. But yeah, you know, learning yeah. that is the hard part. It, it is hard, and I think that look, I think sometimes I think being transparent and direct is always important, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I think anytime you can't beat around the bush, you know, and, and, and actors will, will smell bullshit a mile away, you know, and, and, and I don't ever try to bullshit anyone, you know, and there are psychological games that, you know, directors play and, you know, there's things that I've done and, you know, and, and I've also had, you know, actors say, no, they're not going to do something or whatever. And I'm like, you know, and, and, and I, I don't try, I had an actor once tell me that, that they weren't going to do something specific note and that I was wrong. And I said, okay, I walked away. You know, right. and then I, I came back after the next take and I said, you know, just so you know, cool, I'm, I'm wrong, fine. And you're not going right. to do it. Get it. Right. But just so you know, it's coming across like this. When it uh -huh. should be, there was a, a scene with someone and it was the, the, her, the partner's father and it was coming across 
like she was talking to her boyfriend's dad versus her partner's dad. Right. It was very different. Right. And, and I sat, I said, look, and I didn't know this actor. And I, you know, people had told me that they're not the easiest person to work with and whatever. And I, I, none of those things ever, I never take those things into account because I like right. to have my own relationship. But so I just, uh, and I just went up afterwards and said, look, because I, I don't really, you don't have to like me. I right. hate people. I right. really do. <laughs> but I, I don't, if I'm not honest with you, right. we can't, this is not going to work no matter what. Like, there's right. no trust. So I walked up and I said, look, just so you know, it's coming across like this. And I think it should be coming across like this. But this is what it feels like when I watch it. Right. And then she walked away because I'm like, okay, you're, I can't force you. Right. I can tell you that it doesn't feel right. right. And so she sat there and I saw her do this. And she said, let's do it again. I said, all right. So we did it again, completely different. Right. And then she got out the car and said, thank you. I didn't realize that. Or I didn't, you know, but I, I, I get it now. Right. You know, and, and that's the, that's it. Like, that's what the job is. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, you really are like the person that should be the compass for everything. You know, you're the compass. You're, you, 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 but I can't make you do it, but I'm also never, ever going to back off of how, what I believe and think and feel. But also though, I'm, I'm wrong too. Like there's times where I think like, oh, this should be like this. Then somebody does it and they, where somebody goes, no, I don't think so. Let me, and then they go, let me just do it. Or, All right, do it. Yeah, they do it, and I go, damn, yeah, that that sounds yeah. me. Yeah, I was, I was, I was really wrong. Yeah, like, <laughs> let's keep doing that. Like, right, you know? right. Okay. One more quick question on this: How do you handle giving a note or being asked to give a note coming from a writer, or a showrunner, or whatever that you don't necessarily agree <laughs> with? Well, here's the thing: I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a believer in the writer director relationship. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a believer that the set is the director's face. The writer had their time. And what, what, and I've had this conversation, so this is going to be a little bit, like, you can tell I'm long winded at times, but nah, so I'm going to be a long answer. Because, this is great. Because I've had this conversation with writer friends and creator friends. I, I don't believe a lot. I believe sometimes in the term, I told you my dogs will bark at some point. So I, I don't not believe in the term showrunner. I don't uh-huh. think all creators of shows are showrunners. And I think mm. that's a false title for people just to have. Because a lot of, I've, I've been privy to a lot of situations where the person that created the show mm-hmm. is not running the show. They're running the writer's room and they're running what ultimately comes out in terms of story. So right. They're not running the show. You know, that's a group of people, including them. It's a team right. effort. So anyway, but, but my point being is I've had this conversation with many creators, some showrunners, writers. And the thing you have to realize is this. When we get to that place, that is the director space. The writers had their turn. And not only have they had, this is the big difference. They had their turn in conceptually in the writer's room for 16 weeks or whatever weeks. Then they had their turn writing the script a month, two months before we get it. Then they had their turn when the head writer had their notes. Then they had their turn when the studio had their notes. Then they had their turn when the network had their notes. Then they had their turn when the actor, executive producer had their notes and et cetera. And then they had their turn when the director had their notes when we're prepping. Right. So that script that I get seven days to prep on a one hour, eight days to 10, 11, 12, 13, sometimes whatever, long run pilots to shoot, They've had months with. I get 
hours with it to bring it alive. Mm-hmm. Like I get the actors for one scene for maybe three hours. It's a big scene, six hours. It's a small scene, an hour and a half. Right. That I, I got to figure it out in that amount of time without a lot of input from 25 other motherfuckers that are right. telling me what's wrong with my shit so that I can fix it ahead of time. Right. So I appreciate the relationship and I appreciate the in-depth, you know, what they've gone through with it. But now it's my turn. Right. So if there is a note from the writer that I don't agree with, what I generally will do is I will ask for clarification of what is, you know, what's the note behind the note or what's making them feel like that exactly, right? What is it? Right. And then I will, again, like an actor, internalize it, make it my own. How do I make that note my own? And then I will take it to the actor as my own note, not as the writer's note. Mm-hmm. If I can, if I can do that. And if I can't do that, most actors know. Cause I will literally, I walk up and I go, <laughs> and, and it's not because I'm trying to dime anybody else, it's because I can't understand how to articulate right. because yeah. I don't necessarily. And then there's plenty of times where I'll, I'll try something because I'm always down to try. And, and it's always, it's the, the, the set. Part of the reason why I said all that is because the set is my space. Right. It's my space. So I'm not trying to involve anybody else unless I have to. So I'm going to do my best because I appreciate this relationship to understand, internalize it, and then articulate it to get what they're looking for and see if it works. And I'll also tell the writer, I don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I said, oh, no, I've also said, I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm not doing it because I don't think that's right. And I don't right. think that's right and whatever else. And then I was going to actors and I said, well, listen, look, this is not my note. This is not because I don't understand it and I don't know how to tell you. But what they, what they have asked for is this. And I don't, I don't know. And then a lot of times actor will go, well, well, what? And then I'll call the writer over. Like, come on, you yeah. come explain it. Right. I, I can't explain this. Yeah, I do. I do that. I, I do that same thing because I, my eyes will reveal that I'm just. Yeah. It's you know, not mine. Yeah. It's not mine. And I, and, I I, and then if you it. have a question. I can't answer. Yeah. I can't answer it. And, and I, and I'm not apt to defend it. So. Correct. Correct. And let's then also have a too, party. It takes away- the, 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 the thing about it is this, the director-actor-trust relationship is right. key. My first producing directing job was fairly legal with Sarah Shahi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came in second season. I did an episode the first season. And they had, you know, there's a little bit of some struggling going along, whatever, first season show, whatever. And, you know, uh, someone had said to me that, you know, Sarah doesn't always get along with the directors or something like that, whatever. I'm like, you know, again, I take it with a grain of salt. I don't believe it. I go down the set, I introduce myself. I always give the actors my number and my email and say, look, I know you've got the writers. I know you got everybody else. But if you have questions directly about this episode, I'm always available to you. So hit me up after you read it, whenever that is. So anyway, two days into filming, I don't think my first day, I don't think she worked the first day. You know, she's the lead of the show. She didn't work the first day. But the second day or whatever it was, she worked. We were about two or three hours into to the show, into this filming. They were halfway through the day. Was she not a farm? And she walks up to me and goes, don't fuck this up. That's the reminder of the story when I talked to you. <laughs> she walks up to me. And mind you, we've had, we've known each other four hours. She walks up to me and says, don't fuck this up. I went, all right. Like, whatever. I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. Like, I'm telling you right now. Don't fuck this up. She right. said, you know, she said, for whatever reason, I trust you. 
Mm. I don't know why, but I trust you. Don't fuck this up. And what she really is saying is that other people hadn't earned her trust. Right. Other directors. And for whatever reason, in that short period of time, I was able to. And she didn't want that relationship. She, she, she basically said, I'm putting myself into your hands. Right. Please don't make me look like a fool. Please right. protect me. Please, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As the director, as the person that's looking at the person that has the overall big picture, please make sure that it's coming across the way it's supposed to. Right. I'm, I'm relinquishing and trusting you in that sense that you will guide me properly. Right. And, and you know, that, that was huge. Yeah. Because that's the relationship. That's the director-actor relationships. And, and then I went on the next season to, to, you know, be the producing director on that show. And, you know, we have a great friendship. But that's what, and if you, if you bring someone, if you, if you try to tell someone else's truth, meaning a writer's no, that's not your own, you risk damaging that precious relationship that you have worked so hard to earn right. from your cast. Right. And nothing should get in the way of that. Right. Well said. Well said. <laughs> hey, this is Charles Murray, executive producer of Outer Range. You're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chat. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weasley Productions. What started in 1993 has been a marathon of persistence and creative pivots transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school to running a production company to directing television and commercials and ultimately I am return to the feature films that gave him a start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration. This book is for any person targeting a successful career in the creative arts. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook from Michael Weezy Productions is available on Amazon and anywhere else you get your books. Don't forget about your local mom and pop shops, people. Monk was 2003 to 2009, fairly legal, was 2011, 2012. Now you're in the producing director position. Like, what does the next few years look like? Like, how do you, how do you get to the point where you're now doing, you know, so many different shows, The Blacklist, CSI, Cyber, The Last Ship, Notorious Bones, Training Day. This is now 2017. Like, What's that period, I guess, from 2009 to 2017? How are you making these inroads and growing your career? It looks much better on paper. <laughs> but the truth is, the truth of the matter is this. Look, even, I think even now, to this day still, you know, I've, I've done, I think I've directed over 100 hours of TV or maybe close, like produced over 200 hours of TV. I still have to find new inroads. And, and, and what that really means is this. When I did Monk, it was like, great, you, you've done episodes of your own show, your family show, whatever. You need to do something outside. I do something outside of it. Oh, but it's still for the same network. Oh, you need something for a different network. Okay, great. So I do something for a different network. Okay, great. But that was a comedy. This is an action, you know. Um, right. Before I did Chuck, I'd met on it three years before, before I did it, you know. And, 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 and I hadn't done action. And, and the thing about right. it is, of course, let you do action if you haven't done action. So how do you do action when you haven't done it and nobody right. lets you do it because you haven't done it? So that's the process, right? And, and, and again, patience, right? So I had a 
bunch of general meetings from 07 to 2012, even beyond yeah. that. Just saying, from really like 07, 08 to like 2011, I had all these meetings, the studios, networks, all this stuff, like blah, 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 and nothing came. Right. I'd go back two years later, every year, I'd go meet with the same executive or whatever for three years, four years, not getting hired by any of those people. All, a lot of the hires that I had were by relationships I had made as an AD and yeah. people who were producer-director positions who valued what I had done for them as an AD, saw that I was directing and trusted me, you know? But what ended up happening was those general meetings, all the things that over that three years that felt like things were slow. I mean, they were slow. I was working. Look, I, I, I can't even lie. They weren't really slow. I, I, again, I've been very blessed and fortunate that I've never been not working. But they paid off later. That's laying foundations, right? Because as you get another credit, as someone else hires, you get another thing, you do something different. Those people that were meeting go like, oh shit, this motherfucker's really doing stuff. Right, and then right. They being willing to let you do things. Plus, you, know? you got to do your part. It's almost like, you know, I, what comes to mind is that, what was it, LBJ or JFK tell, telling, you know, Martin Luther King, make me have to do this. You know, like I need right. you to go make it so I can sign this legislation. That's right. Because that, because that, because these jobs, man, I, I tell my friends that aren't in the biz or folks that are trying to get into it, like every time I walk on set and I see my name on a chair or if it just says director, I'm like, this shit is Game of Thrones to get in That's that right. chair. That's right. You know, and it takes a minute. 100%. 100%. And, and you know, and then it also takes like, look, you know, people advocating for you. It's interesting, man. Like, like, so, when, when Blackish first started, Kenya, Kenya Barris and I went to junior high together, right? Mm. And so we've known each other for a long time. You know, we have lots of people in common, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we're, we were never like best friends, but we've known each other. Like we're friends, right. like, you know? And when, when that first got picked up, you know, he called me and said, yo, my show, we're making the pilot. It's going to get picked up. Can you come do it? And I was doing suits at the time. And I was like, dude, I don't know if I can. You know, I'm, I'm doing suits, whatever. He's like, all right. And then it turned out where I could do an episode, second to last episode of the first season, right? But, but prior to that, when he was for, after the pilot got picked up, and I don't know, look, and I don't want to put words in people's mouth, whatever, but, you know, I remember him telling me something to the effect of, you know, he, he had a group of people he wanted to hire. And then, and, and he, I remember him going to ABC with a group of people or whatever, and then being like, nah, you got to hire all these people in terms of directors. Mm -hmm. the pe they're people that they knew and felt comfortable with because it's right. a new show. And this is the right. first show that she's doing on his own. And they want to su surround him with people that they feel comfortable with, you know, whatever. And he had a group of black directors and other directors and everything else. He's like, nah, but, like, these are the people that I want, you know? And they, you know, basically told him, like, you know, no. Right. You know, and it's funny, like, look now, 10 years later, motherfuckers, they say, no, no more. You know, like, uh, uh, turn real quick. But, you know, but this, this, is, the, this is, again, this is the process, right? Right. And so, so and, and, and what ended up happening from, from, you know, what he told me is that after they said no, he, he, he you know, I, I, you know, again, I don't want to tell his story, but, my understanding is that he went away, you know, sort of like, damn, this is fucked up. This is my shit. I thought I could do what I want, but this is politics of the game, right? And then he went in and said he went in with my resume. It was like, wait a minute, why can't I hire him? Right. He's done this show. He's done this show. He's done this show. He's been a producer. Da, da, da. See, ABC had never hired me before. Right. I'd never done an ABC show. 
I've been directing for seven years or whatever it was, five years. I've been doing one hour. I've been doing a half hour. I've been doing comedies. I've been doing action. They had never hired me. I wasn't on the list. And there are people don't believe it, but there are. And and the list, I understand. I hire directors. Right. Right. I'm, I'm I'm in a position where I hire directors. And you have to, you're putting a shit ton of responsibility in somebody's hands. And you want to be comfortable and confident that they're going to execute because it's a right. big responsibility and a lot of fucking money. Right. Right. And, and, and there's a lot. And of you stuff. ain't trying to sign yourself up for a headache. Like exactly. that's literally a self-imposed headache. If you correct. Can't. I don't want to get into the editing room and it's all fucked up or every single day. The actors are complaining to me about how bad this is about right. someone that I hired. I understand right. all of those things. Right. So I understand when the net, why there are lists. I do. I really do. And I understand why people want to hire people that they're comfortable with. I get all that. And so anyway, through that, though, they agreed. Mm. They agreed. And very quickly, it became them wanting to hire me for all kinds of stuff. Mm. And it took that one person going in and fighting. It also took, like you said, my part. It took the resume that I had and it took that moment coming together to mm. open up a bunch of other doors, you know? And so, like, I'm forever grateful for that. You know, I'm forever yeah. grateful for Kenya, you know, in, in, in terms of that. But it wasn't just Kenya. It was also, like you said, it was the work, the foundation that I had put in, you know, to be able to be in the position where they had, they could not deny it. Right. They couldn't say no. Because right. if they said no, what the fuck does that look like? Right. Right. Right, you, right, right, right. Are you able to hire me? Right, right. Well, it, and it's 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 brilliant that you were carving out a career where you had, you know, it's almost like it's it's like a defensive. It's like going on the offensive to be defensive. So when they come and say, "Oh, well, oh, he has done an action. Okay, damn, but it's gonna be hard. That can't be the reason." Ah, oh, oh, it's a sci-fi. Oh shit, he's done some. He's shot in the volume. Okay, can't you know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. Being smart enough to build a resume that can give you some cover, you know, for the realities of how some executives are making their decisions. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a, just because so just you touched on it. Sometimes saying no is the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. I think early in your career, I think you want to say yes. I, I think, you know, unless it's something that just feels really off, you know, mm-hmm. but you want to, you, and, and you want to be hired back. You want to, to me, saying yes to a second or third episode is sometimes better than saying no to a second episode and yes to something new. Because right. you, if it looks like you just bounce around, it's like nobody's rehiring. Right. You know, and I have a bunch of one-offs, but my one-offs are different because of the fact that I'm, I'm producing a lot, I'm doing pilots a lot. So I get an episode, I squeeze an episode in. You know, right. I said it's Saturday morning. That's such we doing this, you know. Right. But you, but you <laughs> an episode in when you can, and yeah. then you may not be able to come back. And they want you to come back, but my schedule doesn't allow it. But when you're starting right. off, and, and also too, but but within that, make sure your team knows what it is you want. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know. Again, I'm transparent, so I don't know if this will come off good or bad, but I really don't give a fuck. When I first started. I told my agents, my every, I've met with, I was very fortunate. I had a lot of friends in the business by this time. I've been, I, you know, pulling for me. And right. I met with like the top three at the time, William Morris, CAA, ICM. I met with some boutique agencies and everything else. And almost every agency said, 
we're going to get you on Bernie. All, all the black shows that were shooting. Right. We're going to get you on Bernie Mac. We'll get you on this. We'll get you on that. And I didn't go with any of them. Right. Because I had seen in the past, and it's different now, because it's different because of the fact that the, the, the world is so much more open in terms right. of shows and, and content for us. But what I saw was if you did a, a, a Bernie Mac, all you did was a Bernie Mac. Yeah. And I said, I'm a storyteller. I want to tell all stories. Like, we tell stories about motherfucking aliens. Yeah. I, I ain't never met no alien. Like, I don't know what an alien feels. I'm going to make that shit up. Right? right. So, like, like, so what point was this? I, I don't want to, I want to tell all stories. And so it's important to me to get representation that said, all right, I, yes, I want to do Bernie Mac. I want to do Everybody Hates Chris. I want to do that. But at the same time, I want to do, you know, the, the, the starter wife, Bones, Last Ship. Like, I don't right. want to do just one thing because then people will put you inside of a box. So it wasn't for me, like, it wasn't about denying the Bernie Mac shows of the world. It was about what, what can I do in addition to, if all you're saying is, hey, there's five black shows on the air and we can right. get you on all five black shows because you're black. Right. Well, that's a problem. Right. And that's got an I, expiration date. And also, too, like, oh, so because I'm black, I don't know how to tell other stories. Right. I don't want to not do the black shows. Trust me. I, like, that's my favorite part. But. Right. No, I feel you. I feel you, man. How. So talk about getting into pilots. Any, any, any distinction that you want to mention between like doing episodic and doing a pilot and on top of that, like how you landed your first one? Because that's, that's always a big milestone for a director. Yes. And, and the distinction really is this, is, is world creating. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, and, and, we're, and that also goes a little bit into features now, right? So, but let's just stick with television. When you are going in to direct an episode of TV. You're stepping into a world that's already created. You're stepping into someone else's house. You are a guest. You are coming in and there is a, what I always say is this, when I'm directing an episode of television, every episode fits into a box, right? This is the show. The show fits in this box. My job on that episode is to push the walls of those box and expand them as far as I can without them tearing, ripping, or falling, right? Because I need to deliver this box to you. Right. But how do I make this box special? What, right. How can I push it without it feeling like it let, I don't ever want to feel like it left the box. Right. So, right. so that's an episode of TV to me. That's how you make a great episode. Now, with a pilot, you're creating the world. So you decide if it's a handheld show. You decide if it's Dolly. You decide if it's, you know, everything is locked off. You decide if, 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 if there's tons of coverage or no coverage. You have to come up with a visual palette. You are, you know, along with your producing partners, you know, you are hiring the cast. You are right. deciding what the character looks like, what they feel like. Then you're, you're, you're going out for that. You're laying the whole template for everyone to follow if you do it right. Like there are plenty of pilots with things that change. I've even shot pilots where we've reshot three quarters of the pilot because we either recast or right. did like that or something like that, but the concept worked. And, you know, that, that's part of the process sometimes. So that to me is really the exciting part of, of, of a pilot is that you really get to, it's also the scariest part hmm. because it's, you know, all on your shoulders. Yeah, there's no cover. This is you. This is, this is, you can't, you know, and, and look, I've, I've 
done six pods and six have got picked up. So I, I feel very proud of that. Right. Somebody called me the pilot whisperer the other day. I was like, I don't know if I'm quite that yet, but I'm trying to get there. But I think that they're all special and unique in their own way. Like, like Pearson spinoff, which I didn't do the show. And that's the other thing. Sometimes I stay on and produce a show. Sometimes you do the pilot, you mm-hmm. birth it, and then you walk away. And then right. you don't have any control over what the show becomes. Like, right. if you, you know, if I don't stay on as even a creative entity. And, and, you know, like the Pearson pilot was embedded in suits. But I wanted to make sure it felt different. But it was a part of the suits, you know, world. But we went to Chicago and I shot it very differently than suits normally would, where suits is shiny and slick and all this stuff. Pearson, I went all handheld. I went very dark and that very undertone. It's Chicago. Like, how does the location influence, you know, the look and tone of the field? And again, that was very, you know, that was organic because I had done the show. I was, I don't think I was still a producer on the show. I, I, I only did three seasons and, and then left. I wasn't a producer on the show. So I came back to do that, to do that. And then you look at something like, you know, LA's finest, where that's a Bruckheimer property. You know, we got Jessica Alba and Gabrielle Union, and and it's a Bruckheimer property. You know, it's based off the Bad Boys movies. So now it's like going in and like, damn, there's a lot of responsibility because there's going to be comparison. And, you know, you go in and and that was, it. how how do you, you know, how do you land a pilot? Well, you got to get, you got to do the work first to get the meeting or have whatever, have your team, you know, play up to get the meeting. When I'd done, again, foundation, relationships. I'd done two Bruckheimer shows. I think I directed Training Day and mm-hmm. uh, CSI Cyber or something. I think that was at that point my only relationship. But that left enough of an impact for them to want to meet me for this. So I remember I remember they, I was directing an episode of Blackish. They wanted to meet on Friday. I couldn't meet on Friday because I was shooting. And so they asked them, we could meet on Sunday. I said, cool. Now, this has all happened this fast. Yeah. So I never forget, Saturday, I spent 12 hours on my computer putting together a deck, a pitch deck. I had never done one by myself before, ever. Now, right. I'm not, I'm not the, the, I'm not, I don't know graphic design. I don't know Photoshop. I don't know whatever. But I, I, I figured that shit out. I spent about 14 hours, actually. And I forget, I got to the, to the, finished the whole book, and it was good. The whole deck, the whole pitch. And got to the end, I was like, something's missing. And it was just some bugging me, right? And I read the script, something's missing. And I put together this last page real quick, right? I had to put it together, print, printed these things out of Kinko's, took it in, had the meeting, boom, 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 doing the meeting, going through all the pages, talking it through, I'm meeting with the Bruckheimer executives and the, and, and the writer, creators, um, the two Brandons, and, and I get to the last page. And I go, but at the end of the day, this show is really about family. Last page was mm-hmm. about you know, I had, had Martin and Will, I had their families. And, had, and one of the things that I put on there that to me, when I put this deck together of how it's supposed to look and the location and all the stuff, but there was this picture of in Bad Boys 2 when, when Will shows up with the donut for his ass at the door and he's looking through it and whatever. And it's like that moment in the doorway. Right. Door. And, and I talked about that. And then you leave. And then I find, and then I, I get hired, and then and then the Brandons who wrote it came up to me and said, "Just so you know, what did it for us was that last page. Mm. The entire time we wrote the pilot, that was the scene we referenced, mm. holding up that donut." And 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 they said that was literally that we had, we printed a picture of it, we had it on our wall. That was the thing, and you know, so 
you go in and you pitch and you try, you try to, again, we're storytellers, man. Nothing makes sense if you don't connect to the story. I've read plenty of pilots. The reason why there are people telling me I should direct a movie for, for 10 years. I just did the first movie last year. And part of it was because I'd read scripts and there was a couple of movies I went up for that I didn't get. You know, it ain't right. like I, I, I go and, you know, go up for something and, and get everything I go up for. But the, the thing was, I hadn't read anything or found anything that felt like I wanted to tell that story. It felt that I have to feel, I, I said before my first pilot, I said no to a bunch of scripts that were sent to me. Right. Like I'm going to pitch on it. And most people go like, you got an opportunity to do a pilot, go pitch on it. Yeah. But I didn't connect. Yeah. And, and you just got to make yourself look horrible because you, like, I, I learned that early. I, I remember I took one meeting in the, in the stage of the job or the career where you're like, I'm just trying to get jobs. And I remember the feedback being, you know, oh, he didn't really seem that interested, you know? And I was like, I wasn't, you know, like, cause, 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 you know, when, when you are, you, you, it's, it's apparent, it comes through and you just end up making yourself seem like it, maybe that's just your demeanor. You're too cool and laid yep. back. And then that'll yep. be the, that'll be the word about Anton Crowley. Yep. It's not yep. at all. And I didn't want, hey, look, man, I made that mistake. So I, I made that mistake. I, you yeah. know, you learn from your mistakes, man. Like that's the thing. You, you can't bat a thousand, man. You, you can't, right. everything can. You can't win all the time. It just doesn't happen. I, I had an opportunity for a pilot and I don't think I had done a pilot yet. Yeah, and I hadn't done one yet. And it was something I was excited about. I read the script. I was like, yo, I could tell this story. I met with the writers. They were great. They were on board. It was like, boy, we had dinner. It was, it was like, oh, this is fantastic. And it was for a network. It was for, you know, USA, who I'd done a bunch of stuff with. And right. I knew everybody. And it was like, yo, the synergy. And they were like, okay, come in and meet with us and whatever. I said, all right, great. Never done it before. And I, so I was really mad at my team because I was like, what, do I need to? They're like, no, just go meet. Like, whatever, whatever. I said, all right, right. cool. I didn't know. And they didn't tell me. They didn't, I, I, I'm mad at them. I walk in, fucking like Rob Reiner's there, like the president of the networks there. Uh-huh. Like, every, you know, like all these motherfuckers in the conference room and they're like, and I walk in and I'm like, I'm thinking like, oh, I already have meetings, the writers, it's like, boom, this is like the, you know, right, we close the deal. Right. And they all look at me like, okay. And I look at them like, okay. And they look at me like, okay. And I'm like, all right. And they're like, well, so tell us. And I was like, I told them a couple of things, you know, whatever, but I didn't go, I didn't have a pitch. And then the writers were like, oh, tell them the thing you told us at the dinner. Like, they're having, like, like, pull right. it out of me, right? Right. And, and then I had no book. I had nothing. And he, Rob Arden gets up and goes to the other room because I was talking about, like, some workshop stuff. And he's like, you know, so, you know, you should really come in with something. At least none else goes up the room, gets a book of, like, 60s costumes or something like that. He's, right. He's, just, he's like, he's at least come in with, like, you know, something. I'm like, I'm like, now I'm like fucking just mortified. Right. Right. Because right. I'm just like, I've completely shit the bed. Yeah. Like, I, but again, I asked, I was like, am I supposed to, am I like, what, like, what is this meeting? And they said, no, I just need to go in. And I was like, okay. Again, underprepared. Yeah. And, and as good as my relationship with that network was, I never had another pilot meeting with them ever. Mm. Yeah. You know, I never, I'm, I'm in this room with all these people and I was so unprepared yeah. and I just didn't, I didn't know I was supposed to do all those things. I, I had a feeling and they said, no, this is not like that meeting. I said, you already, they already, they, I got fucked, uh, you know, yeah. and it is what it is. But 
But now you got now you got a process. You know what I mean? And now you could probably like you probably got a a little bit of a of a not I don't want to say template because that that minimizes the creativity. But I imagine you got some kind of template. So when you have to make a deck in fourteen hours, you at least know what you want it to look and feel like. Nah, nah, it's a it's a from scratch deal every time. Every time. Mm. Every time is from scratch. Every time, which is painful. You see me sides. I actually have to do one this week, and I just did one last week. But every time, like, I, I let the story dictate. Mm-hmm. Like, I sit there, and I read that script, and I read that script, and I read that script, and I start to think about it, and I start to visualize, and I start to think about what is it, what do I, what, what does it feel like to me? And again, like, like some things feel like, yo, this should really be like handheld and frenetic and in your face. And right. other things feel like I want to sit back and have scales. I mean, you know, I always like having scale and scope, but, but, you know, I want this to be more architectural and more like this. And yeah. So, I mean, like, and I, I again, comes back to this. I, I get, you know, I get bored. Right. So I, I don't, I don't, I mean, yeah, maybe some of my pitch decks have looked similar. But right. one of the same or no, that's not even true. Cause like I pitched with writers and like it's a completely different animal than, you know, and, and the whole layout and structure is different. Sometimes I start with characters, sometimes I start with location, sometimes right. I start with the look, sometimes I start right. with like it's just the material dictates everything. The story dictates everything. Right, right, right. Yeah, man. Nah, that's a this is all the behind the scenes stuff that people <laughs> people have no clue, you know, like like and it, and every time it's always immediately due and you got to oh, find a way awful. to make it work. It's awful. And unfortunate, you know, yeah, you get the phone call like on Wednesday that they want to meet with you on Friday or Monday. And I'm, I have now got, to, I'm in a, you know, I guess in a fortunate place, whatever, where I'm like, I, I can't do Friday. Well, we can right. do it Monday or whatever. Like, but Friday is just too soon. I won't be ready. You know, and I had that happen with this one that's coming up where, I think it would have been just more of a general conversation. Same thing. I, I mm-hmm. met with a, a, an executive. We had a very general conversation. I think I was supposed to just meet with another, the, 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 the president or owner of the company. And, and, and I think it was just supposed to be general, but I wasn't sure. And I didn't want that same thing that happened to me. I said, right. I supposed to be? It was like two days later. And I was like, am I supposed to like have a thing ready? And they were like, no, we don't think so. And I was like, nope. no, 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 yeah. no. Let's push this out. So it got pushed a week and a half or whatever it is. But yeah, I've been in that same position. Was like, nah, they gotta like, yo, they're making a decision on Wednesday. It's right. Thursday. You gotta meet with them on Monday. Yeah, you gotta nope. put some shit together. Like, you gotta like, you have to literally put together the entire concept of a series. Right. In seventy-two hours. Right. From look, who you would cast, what yeah. it feels like, tone of it. Is it, is it, you know, how do you bring out the, the thing that's in the script? Like, what is it like this? And I mean, just like, so yeah, but it's, I mean, like, man, shit, if it was easy, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, so the next, what's up next for you, man? Like, are you, right now you got, you got TV, you got feature films. I imagine you could go do a music video if you still wanted to, you know, like, what are you, I'm what are almost, the next few months looking I, like for I'm, you? I'm a little bit upset because I, I had a commercial thing that, that was going to happen and then it conflicted with the date for something else that I was already committed to. And now I see those commercials on TV and, and I could have done them better. Um, dude, <laughs> it was, I mean, they just, you know, could have done them better. Anyway, so look, I, I, 
what you just asked me, I get asked in every single meet. I, I still have, again, I still have general meetings yeah. with companies and people. And, and like, you know, yes, I, I, I say no to a lot of work, which I'm fortunate about, but it's a constant of building connections and layers. And that question comes up a lot. What's next? And, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I have irons in the fire. There's, there's pots on the stove that are boiling. Some yeah. I just put water in. Some are, you know, about to bubble over, you know. It, it, you never know what's going to hit. I have a project that I thought we were making. And yesterday we got the call that it's on hold. Um, they were about to start a writer's room on Monday. Mm. And the Thursday night, it got put on hold. And literally, they're going in the room on Monday. And it may still happen, but that's how this business works. And so uh, what's next for me is honestly, whatever comes along that has a strong story, that are strong characters, I don't know. You know, I'm going to about to go and direct an episode of BMF that I'm really excited about. It's their big mid-season swing turn of events. I've never done an episode of that, but I really like the show. Right. I like working on things. I, I, sometimes you have to work on things that you don't know anything about. Sometimes you have to work on things you don't like. Mm. And sometimes you work on things that you really are excited about, you know, right. and that's part of it. And um, I'm excited about this. But sometimes you're very pleasantly surprised. You work on something you think you're not going to like, and you go like, fuck, I would do 10 more yeah. of these. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. You know, we'll see what comes. Like, there's always something, you know, there's, uh, I, I made a conscious effort this year to leave my schedule wide open. Since I finished the movie, we finished filming last June. It came out in November. I did two episodes last year between June and December of something. Um, and then otherwise, I'm not booked at all. And this is the first time in my life. Like, I've done, I've been at points where I've done 13 episodes of TV in one calendar year. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah. And I, outside of this BMF, I have a wide open calendar. And it is a very freeing feeling. Yeah. Well, that means good things are going to fill it in, man. Cause and that's, that's, that's what the, we're praying for. Whenever you try and whenever you just go for the calendar fill, there's always one or two things that, that pop up. And you're like, man. Yeah. You know, that I, happened I, to be with Succession, man. And I was like, there was a Succession that popped up and, and couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's happened with a lot of stuff, but that one, that one really broke my heart. But there's a bunch of stuff that's, you know, and that's part of it. Like, you know, you got to be able to, you, it, it's, it's tough navigating, man, you know, and right. look, Samuel Jackson figured it out. He said yes to everything and it's worked for him, you yeah. know? So sometimes maybe that's the answer. And there's plenty of other people I know that, you know, do a couple projects here and there, but say no a lot. And I don't know how they financially survive, but they figured that shit out. Right. <laughs> so here's the last couple of questions, round and third here. What are three traits you think somebody needs to make it in this industry? Humility. Mm. Tenacity. I, I think I put talent and skill in one as one. Now, how do you do? Are you making a distinction between t- talent and skill or? I, I think in some ways they're the same. Mm-hmm. I think there's a difference in skill sets. You know, you yeah. can have different skills, but I, I guess, you know, I guess to me, in some ways, they're the same. They are, they're, there's variance between them, you know, but you have to have some sort of talent, but I, I can be incredibly talented at, at something, but if I don't have the skill to actually implement that talent, then right. it doesn't really do anyone any good. It's so interesting too, because what everything you're saying is like, it's almost like you got to be left brain, right brain. You got to be like, you know, sensitive thug. You know what I mean? Like you got, you got to kind of learn how to be malleable and exist in, 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 
whatever circumstance arises. The, the final question I normally ask of actors that I, that I chat with, but I, I'm interested in, in hearing what you would say, being, being a person who does pilots and features. If you were making a film about your life, or not, not, I don't want to lead, if you were making a project about your life, who would star in it? Oh, shit. Who would direct it? What genre would it be in? And would it be, you know, and what medium, TV, film, whatever, documentary? All right, first of all, I can't answer the first one because I'm going to tell you my, my Achilles heel. All right. You know, Jay-Z's Achilles heel is love. You know, he don't get enough of it. Uh, <laughs> mine, mine, is, mine is actors. I cannot tell you actor names. I cannot okay. tell you what you've been in. I cannot tell you what. Now, you show me a picture, I go, oh, that motherfucker. Yeah, I know that dude. I know yeah. that girl. Like, you know, like, yeah. But, but you start telling me names, I'm like, I, you know, I'll, I'll know three out of 20. So I don't know who the fuck is starting. Some cool motherfucker. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody good. Shit. Uh, right. Wh- who would direct it? Oof, ouch, man. That, that, that's, there's a lot of controversial answers to this one. Mm. Uh, okay. And this is going to answer, this is going to answer your very first question, I think it is, because now it just came back to, like, see, okay. I got a like, full circle. Pulp Fiction, I think, was the movie that affected me the most. Mm-hmm. And, and Pulp Fiction was a film that to this day is probably one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, it holds up. That shit holds it, up. It holds up. It was so smart. And the way there's so many stories interwoven into one film and the way they connect and tie in, even though they're so disconnected, <laughs> I think that movie impacted me right. a, a, as a filmmaker and wanting to be a storyteller. Hmm. So for me, I think I'd have to say Quentin Tarantino. All right. And, and you know, it, that's a, it's a really hard question because there's so many great directors, but, but because I think that, and I think my story, uh, I, I think it would be, I think it would be a film. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot. You know, I, when I look back at it, like I have my own nightclub when I was 19, I've tour managed mm-hmm. music videos, I've traveled the world, I've done, you know, I've done just a lot of different things. I, I sold cars, I worked at the mall. Right. I've, been involved in some things I shouldn't be involved in, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, I, I had a very different sort of upbringing in terms, like you say, you know, I, I grew up, you know, grew up in the hood, but shit, still traveled to Europe every other summer, you know? Like, right. you know, so I, I knew how to navigate a lot. And so I love the idea of someone who can blend a lot of different stories and a lot of different things into one thing and some things, man, there, there, there are some things that may seem extreme or sensationalized that I've lived through that right. are real. And I think right. that, that, you know, he has an ability to push things, you know, and, and, and I'm a big believer in my motto in everything I do is soar or fall flat on my face, Troy. <laughs> I, I right. never want to be mediocre, you know, right. I mean, and, and that, that means different things to different people. You know, but for me, I, 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 that's where I want to be. So anyway, I think, I think those are the right answers. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other answer is Spike Lee, right? And the reason why I, I, I didn't go with, with Spike Lee, but shit, you know what the other answer is? Me. 
me, motherfucker. I have to wreck. <laughs> Hold on a second now. Let's back on oh, this that, That's got to be crazy. You can't be giving the notes and no actor talking yo, about that ain't let's it. back this up. Yeah. <laughs> I would direct that shit. Uh, hold up, man. Uh, well, in that, in that case, you really could stand on the mark and be like, nah, it, it's more like this. <laughs> yeah, but no, Spike, look, and the reason why, like, look, I love people who think outside the box and are willing to take risks and willing to tell stories. And he knows and he understands. He understands, you know, Black stories so well. Well, mm-hmm. Reason why, honestly, because I think the reason why I went to Tarantino is because I want my shit to be outlandish. You know what I mean? I want that shit. I, I mean, like, and, and, and not really outlandish. It, it, because some of this shit really happened. You know what I mean? Right. And like, but there will be shootouts. There yes. will be things. There will be things that feel like, hmm, could that happen? Right. And, and, and so I think Spike ends up on the more drama and character side of it, you know? So and you want to make sure the audience comes to the film able to digest wherever this story goes. Correct. So yeah. Anyway, yeah, man, that's that, that, that's some good question, Pete. Hey, man, you know, I, I try to get one in every interview. I, so, so look, I know I know you interviewing me, but I'm going to throw that back at you. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I've never I've never thought about it. I, I, I had the question a long time ago. That's a good question. Never thought about it. Who would, all right, who would, Okay, shit. All right. Actor. Who would play? Because then it's like, I guess they should look like you a little bit. Huh. All right, I'm going to come back to that. I, I yeah. will, I'll pick. That's hard, isn't it? It's really hard, man. A director. Damn. All of it, all of it stuff. But I would probably go with Soderbergh. Yeah. Oh, Soderbergh's great. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. yeah. And, get that. And, and I think it would be episodic. And I think it would, I, I, I love, I love what he does with, at least as of late, right? He's been taking these true stories yeah. and they're things you don't really know about, but it feels like he's probably getting them sold because they're somewhat IP-ish or, mm-hmm. or coming from, yep. and then you could pivot and then he pivots. Like the whole thing with no sudden move. Yeah. With, mm-hmm. like, like, I was like, oh, this is real shit, you know? Like. So something like that, where you're kind of in a genre that you kind of understand, and then you flip it a little bit. And to me, it's kind of like this kind of journey of just like, you know, I was thinking about this when you said it, as as we've been talking, I was like, it's interesting that, you know, I think we had some of the same principles and, and, and perspective and hustle guiding our respective journeys. The main difference perhaps being that you were kind of maneuvering through different spaces and then like kind of climbing, ascending, getting to that peak and then saying, okay, like I've done this and I want to go over here. And, and for me, it was like, I was trying to direct since 1993. So I had this fucking tunnel vision that maybe is more, has a, has a certain kind of pain to it when it Mm. takes so long before you ever get there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you got, and, and you got, out of man, I mean, I've had to calibrate my fucking levels so many times because, like, there was there was just a point where I was like recognizing I was becoming bitter, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I get that. I've been know? there. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, like, I, being able to like take that and put that into some narrative that we understand, but 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 put a little different sauce on it. It'd be um, a dark drama. Dark drama. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and dark actors, drama love story. 
actor is tough, dog. Like that's that's tough. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, man. Because but yeah. this is let, let's now I'm gonna bring it back uh-huh. to, to this because that's what casting a show is like. Mm. You 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 sit there and you go and you sit there and you try to think about who it could be or what it could be. And of course, there's all these big names. You think, yeah, they could do it. They don't audition though. So you're like, okay, yeah, I don't know what that would be like, but yeah, let's let's give that a shot. But right. then people that do come or, come in audition, and I get actors not wanting to audition because they've reached a certain level and you know that they're capable. But when people come in and audition and read, mm-hmm. so many times you don't know what you're looking for. You can't say, oh, this person. There are roles you go, that person would be perfect. Mm-hmm. And there's other times you go, I don't know what this is or who this character is or whatever. If somebody walks in the room and they just blow you away mm-hmm. and then, you know, and they just go, oh, it's like Ronald Flynn in fantasy football who plays um, Anderson Fisher, AF. Right, um, right, and, right. And, and, and I knew what I was looking for, but I had no clue. I went through, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 audition tapes, whatever. As soon as he popped on the screen, bam. There was no questions. I made the phone call. I said, y'all figure this shit out because this is it. This is the guy. Like, and there is nobody else. This is the guy. And sometimes that's just it. But when we as directors go into a project, it's not always like, oh, it's not always like this is the guy we know ahead of time. Sometimes we have to see it or sometimes someone has to bring someone up or whatever it is. And then you go, oh, yeah, that could work. But that could be interesting, you know? Anyway, you know, I will say, and 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 now again, this you made a great point because now this thing I'm gonna say can piggyback off of that. I've been thinking, well, who looks like me, right? Mm-hmm. And while I'm thinking that, I'm also thinking like, well, Denzel didn't look like fucking Malcolm X, right, at all. Bingo. But but but, but, but as that thing went on, you were like, that's him, right? Dude. So if I had to answer, I would I would I would offer Rami Malek. Oh yeah. Okay. You know I mean? But the, yeah. the look ain't one-to-one, yeah. but I yeah. think, you know, nobody know who I am anyway, so. It could be whatever. No, they go, they go, no, though. They you go, know? no. I get that, though. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we do also in movie magic, right? We, 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 if we do it right, the audience will believe whatever we tell them. Exactly. You know, and that's, that's part of the job, you know, is that, you know, we, we, again, I don't think, I mean, maybe some people have seen aliens, I have it, but I could tell you a fucking story about the aliens and make you believe they real. Exactly, exactly. Well, look, I, on, on that note, man, I, there's there's a lot to believe and learn from in what you shared today. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time, and also you've hired me in the past, so you know, <laughs> appreciate you bringing me on long, slow exhale, man. I mean, of course. And yeah, looking forward to watching everything and, you do. And, and, you know, hopefully, you know, you'll hire me. You're in that position, you know, where you're doing. And that's the thing. Like, again, it's a lot of relationships. And, you know, you hire people because you think they're right and they're good. And projects come along and then you go, oh, this person will be great or like whatever. And, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the joy, you know. And I, I love being able to work for people that I admire and work for mm. people who I've seen come up and, you know, deserving. It makes you want to do your best, you know. And the person at the top is deserving of being there. So I appreciate you. Appreciate you, fam. All right. Anton Crapper, people. Yo. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. 
follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. All right, y'all. That was episode 49 with Anton Cropper. Hope you enjoyed. As I said before, this will conclude season three. I'm looking forward to coming back to y'all with new episodes soon. Stay tuned to, you know, the platform via at Pete Chapman on IG or Twitter or at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman on Instagram. And the updates will be coming your way so you'll know what's what and when and why and how and who and all of that. And in the meantime, y'all, I appreciate you supporting the podcast. If you if you like it, tell a friend, you know, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. For those of you who have supported the book, man, leave a review, give a rating on Amazon. These things mean a lot. And as all of you know, you know, I sit back and I do this on my own time, own money, own effort, because I really value the demystification of this entertainment industry and the processes that we can all take, at least, you know, those who are really in pursuit of it to reach our goals. You know, I've never believed in this idea of movie magic. I think there's a, there's a ABC one, two, three to where you begin to create the most compelling, difficult, mind blowing scene ever. And I just want as many people as possible to be aware of what those processes are. So if you like what you hear, if you like what you read, kindly spread the word. I appreciate you. And as always, stay safe, spread love, and keep creating.